I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. To know, obviously, this is not Second Ty- Timothy, Timothy 2. Uh, taking, a, I guess, a point of, of privilege, so to speak, to uh, address uh, an, a subject that we talked about in our small groups uh, in the month of May. And uh, I think most of you should have uh, f- uh, finished that basic discussion. Um, and so I had, uh, it came to me that it might be good for me to teach on the subject and the questions that we were asking and discussing, uh, especially on elders, uh, and to consider some things as we look at this. And uh, the reason I bring this to your attention is, is that I think the Lord's put it on my uh, attention, put it on my mind. Uh, as we read through the Word of God and, and going through Timothy, uh, it's inevitable that you come across the leadership of the church uh, in those books, as that's the point of these books, especially First Timothy, as well as Titus, to know how to behave in the church of the living God, as Titus, First uh, Timothy 3, 5 states. And so uh, I wanted to present these to you. And so this is not going to be my typical uh, sermon and where you read the verse and just have one major text and that we, we uh, work through that text. And uh, in fact, there's going to be more of a, a topical look to this uh, this morning. Uh, and just presenting basic statements to the church. And, and anytime I talk about basic statements to the church, you're not going to bring anything original <laughs> to this uh, idea. The basic statements of the church have been out there. For two thousands of years, and uh, there have been multiple people to write about this, to understand it, to know this, to teach this and explain it. And so, uh, these these are not necessarily new thoughts uh, that I present to you, but thoughts perhaps maybe just to bring together for our consideration uh, in understanding uh, the role of leaders in a church. Uh, before we get to specifically Titus. It might be helpful for you to know uh, some history of our church, uh, where we are at Green Pines. Um, this, of course, church has been in, in existence for 43 years. In 1970, uh, it started. We have a constitution that is as much the same uh, today as it was uh, when it was first instituted in our church, uh, with some exceptions, but most of it is the same. And basically, it just sets up a government of the church, whereas uh managed primarily by committees. In the very beginning of our church's history, it was done with the committees, and uh, a lot of it was uh, church uh, business meetings were dealt with uh, the decisions at at hand. Uh, There were a group of deacons that were, uh, I would say, perhaps maybe a board uh, mentality or a council of deacons from the very outset where they would handle many decisions and what decisions they didn't handle was brought to the church uh, business floor, business meeting floor. I would guess probably about 15 years ago, uh, I think the church started to uh, go through some changes. Uh, nothing officially, nothing constitutionally, uh, but maybe in what was taught uh, to our church body. And, uh, and so this is a, a mixture of, of maybe two or three pastors uh, influence, but an understanding moved away from a board of deacons and a council of deacons to a body or fellowship of deacons, because after all, as we read in scriptures, we see that there's two offices in the church, one's elders, one's deacons, and the deacon uh, office was very much of service, and so they were teaching the Bible and saying that the deacons should be a ministering, serving group, a fellowship. And so there was a a shift that occurred. And so when I came in 2005, this is a a topic of conversation uh, among those that the church had entrusted to meet with candidates uh, in the search committee. And and we talked about, well, who are the elders of a church? Because you cannot deny in the Bible that there is such a thing as elders, as 1 Timothy 3 talks about, Titus 1 talks about. Who are the elders of the church? And in that discussion... The question was asked of me, who do you believe the elders are? And that day and time, I would said, and I did say, well, those who are pastors in a church are elders. And so 
you know, how that looks in a church like Green Pines could very well be uh, the pastor and any pastoral staff that the church might call to be as a group of elders. And that was my thinking at the time. Uh, that was uh, thinking of some of the committee at the time as well. Uh, and so that was uh, in 2005. So here's what I've come to discern after eight years. Uh, what, what does the church do? How does the church work? Well, there is a portion of you, when I make statements like I just did with the pastoral staff is considered as elders, you say, yeah, that makes sense. But then there's some of you that says, I don't know about that. Uh, I would present to you that there is in our church a confusion of authority. A confusion of authority. Where committees have their say, and the pastor is an ex officio member of those committees. But then there's some who say, well, the deacons have their say. And then there are some who say, well, the pastors have their say. And then there are some who say, well, you may not serve at a committee, you may not be a pastor, you may not be a deacon, but we are people of influence. And so we have our say. And so, in much of what I've seen, the church uses a mixture of all of those. Which, the good bit of that is that you get a lot of input and a lot of contribution, which is a valuable thing. But when things get difficult... And there's tension in the air, and there's maybe some confusion as to the ministry of a church and whether it is working correctly. Then we've got a lot of problems. And how do we address that? In the mixture of all of this that I am, as a pastor, serving in Green Pines in, I read the Word of God. And as I read the Word of God, there seems to be an understanding in Scripture that I don't see echoed in this local expression of, of, a, of a church. And so, I wanted to just present some statements to you that are right there in Scripture, bring the Scripture to you for you to think about, and for us to consider and pray together. Simply, statement number one, very easy, very clear, Jesus Christ is the head of his church. That's it. Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And that brings a lot of clarity in the mixture of confusion sometimes I present. And it's like, okay, yeah, there we go. Jesus Christ is the head of his church. Now, it's stated throughout uh, in the scriptures. In Ephesians 5.23, it's very simply said, Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. So, Jesus Christ is going to save Green Pines. Jesus Christ is going to save you. He's going to save us. And that's our hope. That's what we hold on to. So he is the head to do that, of his body. Colossians 1.18 Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that is everything he might be preeminent. And I take a lot of hope in that passage in the church generally, across time, and across the world, and specifically in our church. Christ is the one that holds things together. i never forget when I went to seminary, I went from Appalachian State to Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, and, and I was looking at all the others who were saying that they were to be servants in the church, and they want to be trained to be servants in the church, and to be pastors, and missionaries and, and counselors and, and I was looking at them and I thought man everybody's really weird here <laughs> I mean and it's just like I, I walk away sometimes from class like man is there any hope for the church when I see who the people are and I say that I say that because I was a student I'm talking about myself and I'm looking around like is am I as weird as everyone else uh and, and I look at that, and I, and I look and I see the, the testimony of the church, and it is a flat-out miracle that the church exists. It just is. It isn't as much a miracle that the church exists as Israel exists. Okay? Why is there a church anyway, apart from the resurrection? If there is no resurrection, there is no church. I simply said, there's been all kinds of enemies going against the church. The resurrection is the reason, the, f the first and 
miracle. And there's been many miracles throughout to, to attest to that. And, and those of you who have been members of Green Pines for, the, for much of its existence would say to you still, this statement, Colossians 1.18, is true. Christ is before all things, and in Him all things hold together except for the grace of Christ. This church would not be held together. Simple. And that's true of any church. It's true of any church. And so he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body makes bodily growth and builds itself in love. And so we are from Christ. Our goal is Christ. How do we know that we're successful as a church when we are Christ-like in character and bearing the fruit of Christ? Uh, and, and we'll see that in our life. So, that sounds great, but how does that flesh out? How do we say, how do we know that Christ is the head of Green Pines, or of any church for that matter? And I would present to you that there are two railroads that we go on, two rails that will guide us to make sure that we're in the submission to Christ. One is the apostles' teaching, all right? The apostles' teaching that we, we see uh, throughout Scripture. Uh, this is how the governing work of God, of Jesus, is done through the church today. Through the apostles, uh, through the, the, the records of their teaching. Uh, we see this uh, that is preserved for us in the New Testament. Uh, there's several scriptures I could give to you here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. is another one that speaks to the prominence of the apostles' teaching. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, 38. All speak to the importance of the apostles' teaching. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14. All these are saying that uh, the apostles' teaching matter. It is the extension of the work of Christ and His authority in our lives today. Remember when Matthew 16, Jesus is talking about how He's going to Build his church. And this is done after Peter makes his confession that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, you're right, Peter. God, flesh and blood cannot reveal this. God has revealed this. And upon this rock I will build my church. This teaching of Christ is the living God done as God reveals it to man through Peter and others. So, for that reason, it's really important that when you come here, you learn about the New Testament. You learn about the Old Testament. You learn scriptures. For that reason, it's very important that I typically teach you verse by verse because it is the railroad by which our church can know the authority of Christ. But it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to do it. All right, so this is the second rail. One rail, the New Testament, the, script, the teachings of the apostles to the church. The second rail is the Spirit of God. Who is the Spirit of Christ? Okay? We, um, we were on vacation. We were camping in an RV. And it was my parents' RV. And so, uh, when you are camping in someone else's uh, RV or house, it's really important to know their instructions. And so, Dad always makes a, a little note of things for us to know and to be aware of and to do. And so that would shape our week because it's his RV. And so we're going to make sure that the, uh, the, the bicycles are, are parked underneath the awning. And we're going to, we're going to check the, the battery lines. We're going to check the sewer lines. We're going to, we're going to do all these things. And, and something will come up. And uh, one time, one night, the carbon monoxide detector kept making this shrill noise. And uh, I'm thinking... Why is this happening? This is not good. It has propane detector, and, and so I'm trying to do things. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm waking up the campground uh, with this noise. And so I call Dad. I said, Dad, what's going on? I've got a problem here. I need your direction. And so this is, uh, helps us understand how we work as a church to know what are, what are the letters, the instructions given to us by Jesus, but also understand that when problems occur to us in our church to say, Jesus, there is a problem in your church. Help us to know what to do to go to him and to let that be the very first thing we do when dealing with issues 
in our church is to go to the one from which the church belongs and the problems therein. Now, in the camping, there's the instructions, and then there's the spirit of dad. All right? And interesting enough, I'm able to capture some of that spirit of dad, which uh, purposes I want to bring out here was involving cooking, having fires. I have an innate desire to just, let's get a fire going. And fortunately, I know how to do it because I've watched dad know how to get a fire going. I didn't think that was that much of a skill until my, my brother-in-law. Uh, and there's some of you who are the same, like, how do you get a fire going, you know? And, and so we get a fire going, and then we get the electric skillet out, and, and I just have a desire to say, hey, let's get some bacon out here, and let's grill this up, you know? And, get, and then and they get the bacon grease and cook the eggs into that, and just, you know? Uh, and so it smelled like Dad when he was there, all right? Now, how does that happen? Well, there's no instructions for that. That's just by being with him. And having similar desires. You see, the Spirit of Christ does that in our life. He, he is, it is His way of walking with us. And helping us to have new desires. And ability to do what the New Testament says. So it's really critical for church members who say, I am in Christ. To say, I will be submissive to the Holy Spirit. You see... A church gathering, a church body, isn't a church body because it's a building or even because you have your name on the roll. Foundationally, a church is formed by a covenant together. You're making an agreement with one another and before God. And at the heart of it, at the heart of it, is to say, I will submit to the Holy Spirit. That's at the heart of it. If a church doesn't have that prominence, if it doesn't have that understanding, then it will be unhealthy and it's working. And so, how is Christ's authority established? One, through the New Testament and adherence to the Scriptures. And I think that's why it's important for us to examine the Scriptures, especially in roles of governance. And then, the Holy Spirit. So, Head of the church? Yes. Simple. Basic. But you will find impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, it is impossible. Therefore, daily, as believers in Christ, to say, Holy Spirit, I need your direction. I need your leading. Daily, search the scriptures to know what the Spirit of God might be saying to you. He's going to work through his word. Okay? So, second simple statement. All members of Christ's body are priests and ministers. Because we're in Christ, every believer is as a priest, which means they can intercede before God and intercede on behalf of others to God, they can be as a bridge. That's one of the foundational roles of a, of a priest, is they are a bridge from God to the world around. Because you're in Christ, you are that bridge as a priest and as a minister. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's own people that you might declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the word of God simply tells us that's who you are. You don't need another human being to pray on your behalf. Now, it is good for us to do, but through Jesus Christ, we have all that we need to talk to God. To grow in godliness. Okay? So you are a priest. We have no hierarchical priest over us to tell us what to do other than Jesus Christ. Let me share with you Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 and 6. He who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests... To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Simply, Jesus made you a priest. 
Are you doing priestly things? Are you bringing other people before God and praying for them? Are you being as a bridge and speaking on God's behalf to other people? That's one of the reasons why I had us praying like we did and us mutually sharing the praises to God is because you are a priest before God. And you can speak on God's behalf when you're submitted to Him and in His Word. And so for you to share how God is working in your life is a way for God to use you to minister to someone else that's here. That's why we have small group times for us to share with one another what God is doing and in His Word because we need the interaction of other priests to minister to us and us to minister to them. Okay? So the, the idea that we are as priests and ministers. Ephesians 4.12 says that pastors and teachers exist to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So you are all ministers if you're in Christ Jesus. And so you're a priest and you're a minister. The word minister does not define my pastoral role. It defines my function just as it defines your function. Why, why is it good for a pastor to visit someone, to pray with them, to encourage them maybe in the hospital? Because they're a minister, but not necessarily because they're a pastor. So what I'm bringing out is the visiting aspects and encouraging believers is something that's a job description for believers. Not a job description unique for pastors. So when I do it, I do it as a believer. Not as a pastor, but as a believer. That's why we do it. And so consequently, all believers are to be ministers and to do that same task of encouraging one another, praying for one another, ministering to one another, using the gifts that God's given you, in whatever ways that may be. Some of you may not have gifts of, of mercy. You probably shouldn't visit some people. You may not encourage them. Um, but what your gifts are, use it. And encouraging one another, building up the body, and, and, and realize that that's my task. I am a minister. John, uh, John uh, Snipes and I, I often tease him because he would call me preacher. And I would say, well, how are you doing preacher? And understanding that he is a preacher as much as I am a preacher because we as believers are called to teach the good news that we are all trainers, disciples to proclaim what God is doing in his word. And so that is not a task unique to me as a pastor. It's a task unique to us as believers. We're all preachers. Now, so two statements so far. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. All members of Christ's body are priests and members. Third, under Christ, the local congregation is the final authority in the church. Under Christ, all right? So when I say that, I'm not saying that the local congregation can uh, trump what the Word of God says. I've heard uh, said one, one deacon in another church said to a pastor, I don't care what the Bible says, that's not the Baptist way to do things. Well, it sounds like Baptists need to repent. It's what the Lord says, not what people think, what the Word of God says. And so when we say that the local authority, uh, the local congregation has a final authority in church, we are not saying that it supersedes the Word of God or the Spirit of God. Their, their authority is given to them by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And so it is underneath the umbrella of Christ as the head. But it's interesting, when you read what Scripture has to say, because one, we are priests and ministers. The, the, if you want to look at it as an org chart, you've got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as a triangle, and then the Spirit of God proceeding from the Father, Son, and then branching out, branching out into the church. And so 
The church, when wanting to know a decision, needs to know what the Spirit of God is saying. They do it through prayer. They do it through the Word of God. But they also do it through what the Spirit of God is doing in other people. And that's why it's important to hear from other believers in these decisions. So, when we look at the issue of church discipline. Interesting, in Matthew 18... When Jesus is talking about how you deal with the sin of someone else who is unrepentant, publicly, just continually going in this way. And he says, well, you have a brother, confront them. And then, and then if that's not working, if there's not uh, a repentant spirit in that, then you bring uh, several of your brothers and sisters together. And, and then the final recourse that Jesus is bringing is you bring it to the church. And so Jesus in Matthew 18 was establishing the church at the local congregation as the final authority in dealing with spiritual discipline with, with one another. And that's why I would present to you that a covenant with one another is at the core of a church. Of how we live together to say that we will be submissive to the Spirit of God and we will encourage one another to do the same. And be willing to confront if that's not the case. And so... It's the final court of appeals, a matter of, of, of church decisions and church uh, uh, authority. And I want you to understand, we don't have business meetings because we're American. We don't have votes because we're American. I could argue with you that you don't see voting much at all with God's people in the Bible. And the one time they did vote, they messed up badly and said... Oh, no, we don't want to go and follow God into the promised land. We vote against that unanimously at most. And so it's not a great track record. But why do we do have an issue or a place for voting is because we believe that God's spirit resides among the people and we want to hear affirm that this church believes the spirit of God is moving this way. It's not so much democracy because democracy is about the power of the people and, and lifts up the people. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that people wholesale rebel against God. So our trust is not in the, the consent of the governed. I know I'm not being very American in this. But God is above America. He's counterculture to every culture. So the place for voting is not to see what do the people think, but what do the people sense God saying to us? What's the Spirit of God doing? And so it's not what you think, but what do you believe God is saying? And listen, if there's areas of sin in our life, then for the good of the church, withhold your opinion. When you are unrepentant in sin and you know it, how can you express what the Spirit of God is saying? The authority of the local church is because we're priests and ministers in Christ. Jesus establishes it in Matthew 18. You see it again in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4 and 5 in dealing with the church discipline issue. Now, the fourth simple statement. Christ is the head of the church. In Christ we are all priests and ministers. Under Christ the local congregation is the final authority of the church. And, and that's, you know, some of you wonder, what's the Southern Baptist Convention? The Southern Baptist Convention is not an authority over Green Pines Baptist. And in, that's the case for any Southern Baptist church. We're not set up where there is a group, a central group overseeing local congregations. That's not what Baptists believe. We believe the, the priesthood of the believer and, and as such that every congregation makes their own decisions. And, and this is, in essence, an independent church. We've just chosen to, to cooperate and affiliate with the Southern Baptist Convention. And so you need to understand that. Some of you may come from Methodist or Presbyterian background where that's not the case. There is a central group overseeing that local congregation. Um, but that's not the case here and for good reason. Now, the fourth simple statement. God calls some members of each congregation to feed 
and lead the church as servants of Christ and His people. So God calls some people to feed and lead the church and His people. This is not counter to the equality that we see that everyone is priests and ministers. It is not counter to that. It is a function of submitting submitting to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God can choose to lead and to send out some people and set them aside and say, I want to use you in leading the church and to be voices for, for God. Okay? And so, that's what we have been reading about in 1 Timothy, as well as in Titus. Two offices, especially deacons, who lead in serving with the hope of preserving the unity of the church in pragmatic and practical ways. And then the office of elder, who are overseeing in the leading and teaching of a church. Okay? Uh, So that's the direction and the teaching, whereas deacons is tied to the unity and pragmatic servants, okay? Now, here's what we have at Green Pines now. We have a hybrid deacon group, okay? A hybrid deacon group which serves and serves as an elder-type group, okay? Uh, So they're charged with, hey, you've got to be servants here, and you've got to be leading servants, but then you also have to be servant leaders, all right, leading servants doesn't necessarily have responsibility, but you are a great example and you're faithful and you have a great spirit in this and you're working. This is where Lynn is cutting the grass. He's being a leading servant in a very pragmatic way. It's, it's in, in other ways like that. And then there's servant leaders who says, I'm going to serve the church by leading, but do it in a humble fashion. But they're still leading. Okay, You can't get past the fact that you're still leading okay uh and and so these are some that god has called out so we have passages like hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 remember your elders those who spoke to you the word of god consider the outcome of their life and imitate imitate their faith hebrews 13 verse 17 obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep and watch over your souls as men who will have to give an account 1 Thessalonians 5.12, we beseech you, brethren, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem the very highly in love because of their work. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he speaks to the elders of Ephesus and he says, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. So if the Holy Spirit, who is, who is the rail by which we know the submission of Christ, the authority of Christ, as well as the New Testament, who says these are elders, obey them. If, if that is the case, and in the church there are those who do not obey spiritually submitted leaders, therefore not obeying the word of God, they are in effect in disobedience to God and in sin against God. In much the same way that a child who may be disobedient to a father and mother is in consequence disobedience to God because the authority of God has been given through the parents in that time. You follow what I'm saying? So the importance is one... Make sure the leaders are submitted to the Spirit of God and pray that they will be so. Pray. One of the things you can pray for me about is that I will be growing in my sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Pray for that. Pray for that. Because there, there's a lot that depends on that. Pray for anyone that's leaders in your church. Pray for, that's a great thing to pray for anyone that's a believer. Growing sensitivity to the Spirit of God, a love for Christ, a holiness that will consume them. Okay, uh, And so these are things that, that you can pray for. Now, we need to be very careful if that is in place where there is a pastor, an elder that is submissive to the Spirit of God, be very careful about what you say and how you act with those people. And I say this, I know it sounds self-serving, but I want to say it in the same way that Moses might have said it, that it is it is for our church's good, it is for your good, that that is the case. And that's why Hebrews 13 says 
what it does. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will have to give an account. And understand that my accounting is before God. And there is a, when we talk about elders and we talk about plurality of elders, we don't go down that road lightly at all. And, and, and for someone to say, I, I want to be an elder, you do so because you have desire, but you also do so because you feel the compulsion of God in your life to do that and be that. Because there's an accounting before God that you're going to have to depend on the Spirit of God in. Okay? Now, let's talk about understanding that, that there are some that God has called out to be leaders as servants of Christ and of his people. It is not contradictory to the fact that we're all priests and ministers, nor is it contradictory to the final authority being the local church, because the local congregation is the one who extends that authority. Now, here's where things have gotten dicey in our church, I believe. As I came into it thinking, okay, if the church affirms me as a pastor, then I am a pastor. I'm accountable for God. God's called me to this. The church recognizes that. And so there is the, the issue of, uh, of honoring that and obedience to that. And then I'm thinking, and that's also true for anyone else who has the pastoral office. And there have been those who have had the title pastors of that the church did not really deem as elders. And I'm not, not, not going to fault the church about that. I think that's partly because... I don't know this guy. I don't know if he meets 1 Timothy 3. I don't know if he meets Titus 1's qualifications for that. I, I don't, how can I trust this one? I don't know them. But that's the system that the church has inherited because that's how other churches have done it. And so we just kind of adopt it and say, okay, we don't <laughs> do whatever others are doing. But here I am as a pastor thinking, okay, you're a pastor. You have authority. Follow my lead, but you have authority over the areas that the church is entrusted to do. But the church doesn't recognize that. There's conflict. There's difficulty. There's tension. And as I look in church's history, prior to me, I see that it's a trend that's not unique to the last eight years. So, what about the leadership of elders? I want to just bring out to you that I think the scripture, as I study the scriptures, brings out a plurality of elders, of those who have the same title, and it's interchangeable, a pastor, of an elder or an overseer. We've talked about that as we looked in 1 Timothy uh, 3, seeing that. But let me just bring some examples to you. Acts chapter 15, verse 22. This is in Jerusalem. I want you just to, to note something. The church is trying to make decisions and settling matters between uh, those who are not Jews, who are more Gentiles, uh, and how do they walk in the faith now? What, what practices do they do? Do they take on all the Jewish laws? What are some of the decisions they have to make, the dietary rules and other things? And, and so they're trying to make decisions, and they're sending representatives together. In Acts 15, 22, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men and to send them to Antioch. I just want to present to you that evidently the church in Jerusalem had something called elders in addition to apostles. And it's, it's plural. You go to Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Paul is on his, on his journey uh, to Rome, and uh, to Jerusalem rather, and he knows that this is kind of the last hurrah for him. And so he, uh, he's got dear friends in Ephesus. He spent much time there, and he wants to spend some time with the leaders, but he doesn't actually want to go to Ephesus because he knows it's going to take too long. And so he calls the leaders to him. And so in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church, singular. Elders, plural, of the church, singular. And so this group of people came to them. Interesting, when you read that, that passage in Acts chapter 20, he uses terms to these group of elders. And he tells them to oversee and he tells them to pastor. All three of these terms that we often use for church leadership. And then there's Titus 1.5. So, some of you looked at more in depth in the small group. Titus 1.5, Paul is telling uh, Titus to, to put some things in order in these new churches, brand, fairly new churches that are started. And he says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders 
and every town as I directed you. And so as Paul's understanding to, to carry on to Timothy and say, or to Titus, this is what we do. We're going to appoint elders in every town. And so we don't know there specifically, does the elders refer to one elder in a bunch of churches and a bunch of towns, or a bunch of elders, or several elders in each town? Uh, and so I'm going to say, okay, grammatically there's room to you can interpret either way on that one. But... There is the understanding of a plurality of group, either in every town or several in each town. Let me just bring to you something else. James. James, chapter 5, verse 14. Helpful to understand, James was uh, probably the church leader in Jerusalem. And if you read at the beginning of James, he's, he's saying that he's writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. In other words, he's writing to all the believers scattered out from Jerusalem. Uh, In James 5, verse 14, he says, Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. He assumes that there are elders in every church. As a leader in Jerusalem and writing a letter out to the masses of believers across the regions, he just assumed, you have a church? Oh, you're going to have elders. So when you're sick and things are going, then you're going to call the elders to that, that church. Uh, as we keep on uh, reading, you see 1 Peter uh, has something similar. Uh, Peter is, is writing to churches in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Pontus. He writes to these, these uh, five regions and, and tells them in 1 Peter 5, 1, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And so he, again, tells them in 1 Peter 5, 2, he tells them to pastor and oversee. Interchanging these three terms, but again, referring to a plural group, to these who are scattered throughout. And then in Acts 14, verse 23, as uh, all the churches that Paul founded in the first missionary journey, he says, And when they had appointed elders from them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. I think as you read this, you just see more and more that it seemed to be implied. You're going to have elders. It was based on a Jewish way of a synagogue which had elders leading it. And so why don't we try looking at it from the other perspective? Okay, well, is there an example of one pastor? A church where where there's one leader, one pastor. Interesting enough, those who advocate that usually appeal to Moses. He is one singular leader who leads the people of God. And so, uh, and there's a lot to learn for pastors from Moses. But interesting enough, when you look at Moses' example, even he, and, and when he's judging the people, judging means teaching the word of God and helping people to apply it in their specific situations, which sounded awfully pastoral to me. In that task, his father-in-law comes and says, this is not good. And gives them a word of counsel in which he takes and which he divides up the people in groups of thousands, hundreds, and fifties. And appoints judges over them. I thought, interesting enough, even in the Old Testament, there's this sharing of a load of a task that sounds very much like pastoring. Though it's an Old Testament version. And so... You have a hard time pressing forward. Where does the scripture say that there's only one pastor in a church? And I would argue that it has more to do probably with corporate influence than anything else. uh, And how we know it today. Now, the function of the elders. Let me just kind of give you a review. Simple statement one. Christ is the head of the church. Simple statement two, all members in Christ's body are are priests and members. Under Christ, the local congregation has the final authority in the church. Yet God has called members of each congregation to feed and lead the church as servants of Christ and his people, as, as to be leaders. These leaders in the congregations of the early church were elders, pastors, overseers, you can change the terms around. But that's what they were. What's the function? The function of the elder was to feed 
and to lead. To feed the word of God, the teaching aspect, to oversee the teaching component, and the leading, the direction of the church. Now, there have been some questions as to what elders were doing. As we did small groups, I tried to talk to the teachers. And, and it's interesting how many of you came from a church where there were elders. And it's also interesting how varied it was with those with elders. When I, when I present this to you, I want you to understand I'm not looking to get out of work. All right? That's not the point. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's kind of more work. Um, I can just make decisions. So let's, let's run with it. I'd sought counsel out. But in this one, it is a sharing of leadership. It is in my spiritually, spiritual best interest to go with this thought of elders. But in, as far as time saving, no. No. What do we do? First of all, I'm not advocating a shared pulpit on an every week basis. I'm not saying, okay, when there's a plurality of leaders and they're of elders, then they're, we're going to share the pulpit and someone's going to teach every week. That's not, some of you had that model. That's not what I'm proposing. I, I would say to you that there's still, even a group of elders, there's still one leader. There's still one leader, and that one leader is unique in being a lead pastor, lead teacher, lead director. And as such, I think the Sunday morning time of having everybody here together and for me to say, let me just share what the Word of God says, is paramount, not to be replaced. It's critical. But the function is to feed and to lead. So we're, we're responsible for that. What, my, my influence is not in coercion. It's not to say to a group, we're going to go this way. But here's how it's working. It, it's working, and I'm trying to exemplify it right now. It is working through just influence and persuasion. My flat out job right here is to persuade you what the word of God says. And I am persuaded that it goes to a specific direction. But I cannot coerce you. I can't force you. And that's why I say to our church to say, you know what? I'm going to teach this. And if our church says we're not ready to go there or we don't want to go there, then that is something I will abide by because I am not coercing. I cannot coerce that. First Peter 5, 2 is very clear about that. My job is to pray, to influence, to teach the word of God, to be persuasive in it. That's how that works is to feed and to govern that way. Titus 1.9 says the elder must hold firm to the sure word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction, sound doctrine, and also to confute those who contradict. And so I'm very much interested in knowing what's going on in the Sunday school classes and the small groups. That's why we had the leadership classes and I was able to spend some time on Wednesday night because it was paramount to what I'm called to do. I need to know what the teachers are teaching. I need to know that it's conforming to the word of God. I'm, I'm held accountable for that. For what's being taught. And so the elders must know the Word of God, know how to handle the Word of God, know how to recognize false doctrine, and know how to correct that. And so as we consider this, that's what we're praying for, and that's what we must teach toward. Some of you are more able to do that than others. And you'll be candidates. If a church, if Green Pines was to say, we want to do this, then I'm sure the Green Pines, the congregation will know who you are. They need to know how to do that. So in, in the, how does a church get there? I think it would be important for spiritually discerning people to survey the congregation and say these are candidates who may be good elders. Who, as best as we can see, fit the qualifications of what Scripture says in 1 Timothy 3. Titus 1, they're going in that direction. They're making good progress. But then to present that to the church for the church's decision. And that the church affirms and makes the final decision of who those people would be. 
So in our church and how that works, the, the group that most uh, resembles that group, it, it would be a deacon group, active or inactive, those who are spiritually discerning to know our church, to know the Word of God. Elders, you need to understand, elders, you don't pick them out because they represent segments of the people. You do that with deacons. Okay? Elders are not so much just concerned about what segments of the congregation thinks as they are concerned about what the Word of God thinks. They represent God. They want to know God's interest, God's Word's interest. That doesn't mean you're blind to what people are saying at all. But you know what God's saying and you want to go with what God is teaching and directing. Deacons, it seems in the advent of them in Acts chapter 6, that even from the very beginning it had the various groups in mind is saying that we want a, uh, an Hellenist person, a Greek-sounding person to, to help with the unity of the church. And so that's why I would say that the deacon group is a group that you do consider the various groups and segments in the congregation, the age, the, uh, the, the ethnicity that you consider in that. And, and so that's an important part. And so as I present this to you, I just present it to you for your own prayer. For you to write some of these things down, and, and I think the best course of action is for me to write some of this out for you and just to send it to you and let you think through it on your own, to consider it. But I just present that our church needs to pray about it. My prayer is that we'd be open to consider it, to think through it, to pray. And here's why it matters. One, if this is the New Testament model, if, if this is true, it is best represents the New Testament model, then we get closer to this mission to Christ when we follow that, and thus Christ is more the head of the church as we seek that out. And that's important, because 1 Timothy 3 tells us that we are to be a pillar and buttress of truth, a support of truth. Nightdale's impact with the truth of the gospel is dependent on churches acting like God's called them to be. And there has an evangelistic impact with that. And so I know this is not your typical thing, and some of you guys are concerned about work and life, and, and here I am talking about the church. But it's done with a fundamental belief that the church, when operated under God's direction, will impact your life and all that you're dealing with and bring great comfort and direction and wisdom. So this is just a little shop time for us as a church to think through. But let's pray through it together. Okay. Father, pray that you take these words and take the scripture. Lord, I know that there's nothing that is just inherently powerful within me and how I present this and what I do that will change hearts and minds, Lord. But Lord, I do do it because you've called me to it and I believe that you can use it. Not on my strength, but on your strength. And so Lord, it's with great hope, with confidence in you, dependence on you. Lord, that you would take these scriptures and take these thoughts, apply them to our life, 